Alright, grab a pencil, grab some paper, get ready to take some notes because we are going to deep dive and go rapid fire through 18 behaviors copywriting clients love from you. It's Monday, which means today is the day that I answer your questions in these Breakthrough Marketing Secrets daily episodes. And uh, today we have a question from Sean. Now, Sean asks, what exactly are clients looking for in copywriters as far as skills, character qualities, and everything else? And if you have a question that you'd like to have answered in an upcoming episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Don't forget, you can go to BreakthroughMarketingSecrets.com slash ask. That link is in the description. BreakthroughMarketingSecrets.com slash ask and have your question answered. So let's dive into these 18 behaviors. These are the proven direct response marketing, copywriting, and entrepreneurship success strategies you can use today to write your own ticket and create the life you want. I am Roy Furr, and this is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Now, here's today's breakthrough. All right, uh, let me check my notes here. Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, today's episode is sponsored by me, <laughs> as usual. Uh, anyways, uh, it's uh, specifically today, I am going to link you to BTMS Insiders. That's Breakthrough Marketing Secrets Insiders. That is my training library that's like Netflix, but for copywriting and marketing training where you pay one low fee, you get access to everything instantly. It will help you develop all the skills you need to succeed as a copywriter, plus grow your copywriting business. And if you're curious about 18 behaviors copywriting clients love from you, it is a brilliant investment. So check out the link in the description. It's at btmsinsiders.com. Okay, number one behavior. Number one behavior that copywriting clients love from copywriters is getting results. Honestly, like if you focused on nothing else in your copywriting business, aside from being a total jerk, your copywriting clients are going to are, are going to put up with a lot if you just consistently get them results. And by results, I mean get them leads, get them customers, get them sales, get them profits. So effectively, when they are investing in you, they are buying money at a discount. Now, everything else is going to be additive on top of this, but pretty much when it comes down to it, at least for the type of entrepreneurial clients that I like to work with, that uh, many of my other students like to work with, we're, we're not focused on just writing copy to look good, to feel good. Okay, there is a space out there for that. Copy that just like looks good and feels good. And there's there's going to be a lot of overlap with like the professionalism type behaviors that we're gonna dive into here. But when it comes down to copywriters whose job is actually sales multiplied through media, if you're not getting your clients results, they're, they're going to struggle to be excited to work with you again. But if you get them a ton of results, they're going to be willing to like focus on that over all the other factors. Um, so the number one thing that you should always be developing as a copywriter is your ability to get results in your media, your market, your industry, today's like technology landscape, today's market landscape, all of that. You need to be constantly focused on how do I get results for my clients. Next up is to write well. Okay, if, if you're being paid, okay, you may focus, you may focus on, oh, I'm focused on getting leads. I'm focused on getting customers. I'm, I'm focused on generating sales. I'm focused on generating profits. But if you don't write well, 
Like if you don't write clearly, uh, coherently, if you're not communicating well, if you're not putting a message in front of somebody that's easy to understand, then you're not a very good copywriter. Um, honestly, like the best copywriters both write well and get results. Um, it's it's clear writing that people respond to. If your writing is is not clear, it's not concise, it's not it's not conveying good messages, it's not engaging all markers of writing well, uh, then you're gonna you're going to struggle as a copywriter. So your your clients do expect you to to write well. Follow best practices. Now, I'm immediately going to contradict this in the next behavior, but uh, I, I will say, in general, you should follow best practices for your writing. So, for example, direct response copy, copywriting that's designed to get results, should have one offer. It should have a clear call to action. It should probably have a headline that gets attention out of the gate and, and makes the readership sale or engagement sale first. It should have a strong emotional hook in the intro. It should do these things that are the best practices of direct response advertising. And you should do a pretty good job of following best practices with your copy. And uh, it, it, clients are going to expect that. So if you write an advertorial, does it read like an advertorial? If you write email copy, does it read like email copy that gets clicks? If you write a sales letter, does it read like a sales letter? If you write a video sales letter, just follow best practices. If you create a campaign, an email campaign, do you have the best practices for that? So study the best practices for whatever your approach to copywriting is and mostly follow them, but also also, number four, we have be original and unique. So your copy should not read like everybody else's. So um, the way that I differentiate this often is the best practices are more of the deep structure, the underlying uh, structure and psychology of copy that works, marketing that works. And the original and uniqueness is your, uh, it is your, like the superficial details of your copy. So if your superficial details sound like every other copy going all the way back to like classic how to write a good advertisement and your ads just feel like every other ad, clients are not necessarily going to love that, at least those who are experienced in marketing. There should be something that feels unique to the client, unique to their voice, unique to their brand, um, and and that should feel somewhat original. The other thing, just specific to being original and unique, I've dealt with situations where copywriters thought it was literally their job to copy somebody else's copy. That's, that's not what copywriting is. It's not actually copying. It, you can be inspired by, you can learn from, you can uh, you know, riff off similar ideas, et cetera, angles. You still want to be original and unique in your presentation. Do not swipe line by line word by word, paragraph by paragraph, whatever, you want to write original copy. And in most of my contracts, my clients have explicitly said, hey, if we find that you are, uh, that you're infringing on somebody else's copyright, which is what that is, by nature, an advertisement is copyrighted the moment it's created. If you're infringing on somebody else's copyright, you actually uh, are subject to immediate termination and perhaps even the um, return of your initial project fee. So be original and unique. Bring great ideas. 
learning to turn yourself into an idea generation machine for your clients is is powerful in terms of uh, in terms of being a great copywriter because so much communication is about the idea it's about recognizing okay here's a great idea that people are going to engage with and then everything else follows from that idea. So the more you can turn yourself into an idea generator in terms of your everyday behavior as a copywriter, the more clients are going to like you. They want you to bring great ideas. Have a plan and process. That's next. So uh, what I mean by this is, well, for example, a couple months ago inside BTMS Insiders uh, training that I did was all about client intake and how to go through and what questions you want to have answered as you're starting a project so you can have and achieve maximum success on that project. So having a plan and process, like really just having a sense of, okay, if this project is going to go successfully, here's what's going to happen. And this goes all the way back to things that I teach in terms of getting clients. You should have a plan and a process for getting clients. And then when they say yes, you should have a plan and a process for, for making that project successful, for getting everything you need up front, for getting everything done at the end, right? Right? but you want to have a plan and a process that you are following that gives the client confidence that you are a professional and and the more confidence that they have in you the, the the better they're going to feel throughout the course of the project and the more you are going to succeed the other thing a nice little addition to your plan and process if you are a direct response copywriter is to have a plan for what you're going to do if for example you launch this new funnel and it doesn't work exactly like you expect it to so having having like a next step okay here's something else to test etc that is that's helpful do your research that's up next do your research it is primarily at least the way that i've always worked the copywriter's job to do more research on this project than anybody else. And so a client, a great client is going to give you a lot of starting points for research. They're going to give you a lot of material for research, but even when they give you that, you still need to go through it. You still need to do the research. You still need to read the materials that they send. And then you're gonna benefit even more by doing even more research, like reaching out, you know, knowing how to use Google. I'm sorry, the world's greatest research tool is Google. Just entering good, curious questions into it. Um, so doing your research, uh, searching for whatever it is, whatever is required for you to succeed. The other place that this shows up is actually researching the client, researching the offers, not asking a bunch of obvious questions that are completely um, publicly available. So for example, you know, something like, uh, I, I don't even know what the, what the example might be. Um, just some public information that's, that's on their website, like on the front page of their website. You shouldn't be asking them for that information. You should probably find it. You should probably browse their website first. Okay, this is on the front page of your website. Uh, like I can find that, right? Uh, the exception that I have to that is if you do have a really thorough questionnaire to get lots of details, sometimes you can ask those types of questions as part of that, but the vast majority of that questionnaire should be really like stuff that you can't necessarily get elsewhere. So for example, another example, uh, what's the best bi um, uh, bio to use for this expert 
as who is the voice of this promotion. Well, I may be able to find that on their website, but if that's part of, you know, and, and then what's their contact information, what, which way do they prefer to be contact? Who's the marketing uh, contact on this? What's their contact information? How do they prefer to be contacted? The other thing about Best Bio is they may think that the, the main bio on their website is, needs to be updated and they may have a different one that they've just written that would be the best bio that they would insert there. So, um, you know, doing your research is just, you have to be willing to go out and seek out information on your own without completely relying on the client to do it for you, without overly leaning on the client to give you a bunch of information that you can easily get uh, elsewhere. No egregious errors. So this kind of ties into the write well thing. A good writer makes mistakes. A good writer occasionally misses a word because of the way that our brains work and will fill in missing pieces if we are familiar with something. Um, a good writer occasionally has typos. A good writer occasionally has grammar errors. But the vast majority of your writing, of your work, needs to have no major errors in it. It needs to, at worst, have some minor errors, right? And it's even better. One, one of the reasons that I, like when I write copy, oftentimes what I'm doing is I'm just reading it over and over and over and over again as I go. And that has a few benefits. The other thing that I do there is it's not just me reading it over and over. It's actually, I get the computer to read it to me while I'm looking at it. And so I can hear it differently than I see it on the screen. And that somewhat disrupts the brain's uh, natural inclination to fill in the blanks. But um, one, of the, one of the major benefits of reading it over and over again is I'm much more likely to catch errors. And so I have much fewer errors in my copy. Another benefit is I'm picking up the voice of the promotion over and over again. I'm picking up where I left off easier, etc. But this all goes back to please don't make egregious errors in your copy. Uh, and if you need to, like if English is your second language, you can really benefit from uh, having someone who English is their first language as a uh, as as an editor for you or as just a, a peer reviewer that says, hey, this doesn't this wording is weird or or whatever. Uh, things like that can really benefit you just figuring out how to reduce and eliminate as many errors as possible. Now we're getting into more of like the professionalism and communication stuff that is less about the writing itself or the results generated. Practice active listening. Man, this is like one of the best life skills across the board. To be able to actively listen to somebody means that you're not constantly trying to get your words in edgewise. You're not trying to like you're not thinking of your response while they're thinking you're, or while they're speaking. You're instead listening to what they're saying. And then you ask them questions to go deeper. You ask them questions to add nuance or context to what they've been saying. You ask questions to just pull more out of them. And honestly, like this active listening, having uh, three to seven questions for an hour-long conversation. This is something that I would often do is I'd have like three to seven questions for an hour-long conversation with the voice behind the promotion. And then each question I would turn into more and more like reflections on their initial answer. And sometimes we wouldn't even get to all of it or sometimes the interviews would go two hours or whatever, but I'm just asking them to give me more and more information, whatever they're thinking, whatever their story is, whatever, like just give me more. 
And it, it, it's as simple as, oh, that's interesting. What was that like? Or, uh, oh, okay, uh, how did that make you feel? Or, um, why, why did you have that reaction there? Or like, I'm just asking open-ended questions, right? Not yes or no questions. I'm asking questions to get them to, to elucidate on their thoughts, their feelings, whatever's being reflected in what they're saying. Use their knowledge. Use their knowledge. Uh, what do I mean by this? So one of the things as a copywriter that, that you should be able to do is bring these unique ideas, unique angles, your own unique expertise to bear inside a, a, a situation. And at the same time, recognize, especially if you're bouncing between industries or bouncing between clients, that a, a, a client probably knows a lot more about their business, their offers, their market, their audience, like all of this stuff. They know more about it than you. And if you can, again, actively listen to them and get knowledge and information out of them, then you are going to be able to, um, you can use that to your advantage. So for example, I, I had a client that, yeah, this is, this is a few years old and I'm, I'm just remembering it right now, but this, this client, uh, we had, I, I, in the financial newsletter industry, there's all sorts of different acquisition offers. And a good general rule is under a hundred bucks for the first year subscription to a, to a front end newsletter. And, um, and then that number was kind of varying a little bit. So you'd see some for like 67, you'd see some for 47 or 49. And I had a client that said, okay, well, let's write all our offers at, it was 29 or 39, but then on the order form, we give them an opportunity to get the print instead at 49 or get the print plus um, digital at 79. And they had just this control offer. And I could come up with lots of different variations on an acquisition offer, but if they had tested this across multiple publications, across multiple audiences, across like multiple products, right? why not use that as a great starting point? And that's just an example. Or they'd say, well, we're seeing um, in financial, like it's a gigantic oversimplification to say fear versus greed. But we're seeing, um, we're seeing greed promos really working well right now. And so, um, so, so you could go with that, that fear idea that you have, but if you find a solid greed angle, then maybe um, that would be more likely to perform well for you. Or we're seeing tech specific um, promotions work well across the industry. We have a tech service that you could write for. Do you want to go down that, that angle, et cetera? Like we're just, you just want to use their knowledge. And so you'll have a lot of conversations with them. Again, active listening helps here. Use their knowledge. The other thing is they may recognize in your copy, oh, that idea has been used before, that hook has been used before, so no matter how much you like it, it's not gonna feel as unique to the audience, etc. So you gotta use their knowledge as much as possible. You want to capture their voice, that's next. Capture their voice. So uh, by that, I mean like, mostly the most effective way that I found to get a client to say, oh geez, it feels like, it feels like I wrote this and I've gotten that comment over and over and over going all the way back to my very first uh, client, David Bullock. He said, 
he, he said like, geez, like you captured my voice really well in the sales letter, but you wrote it better than I ever could. Uh, Brian Kurtz on stage at the Titans, the direct response. He said he actually got a call from Paris Lampropolis once the promo went live and said, Brian, uh, this really sounds like you, but uh, I didn't know you could write copy that well. And, um, and it was like, in all cases, it's because of this one thing. I ask a lot of questions, active listening, ask a lot of questions. I'm taking some notes as I go and I'm telling their stories. I'm telling their stories. With, with David, I actually took the DVDs where he was teaching and he told his story throughout that teaching. And in, I, I left out the, like, here's the, here's the information that you learn in the teaching. And I used his story. And then I promised what the information would do for you. And again, like capturing their voices so often, like, what are your stories? What, like, what, what do you value? What, what, and you just listen, right? You just listen, active listening. Take feedback well. One of the best ways to screw up a client relationship is to have your client review your copy and give you some feedback, re remembering, remembering th that you want to use their knowledge. They have knowledge about their industry that you don't. Um, they, have they, have, they have audience knowledge. They have market no knowledge. They have offer knowledge. They have a lot of knowledge that you don't. So they give you this feedback based on their knowledge, right? And you say, no, that's wrong. That's right. I, I disagree. Like, and you get combative about it. That's one of the quickest ways to screw up your client relationship. You can disagree. You can disagree respectfully. You can say, oh, okay, well, here's why I thought this way. And I'm curious what you think about that. Like, here's why I had this other, other thought. Or uh, you can say, would you be willing to test? Because I think this other way might work better. Right. So you take feedback. I'm not saying that you have to just roll over and do whatever they tell you to, but you have to be good at taking feedback, including things that are that, that, that are easy to perceive as criticism. And I'll admit, like, I get a little hot under the collar when I feel like I'm being criticized for my work. And at the same time, I have to stay composed. I have to stay emotionally composed and I have to stay curious and I engage with them. And um, sometimes what it leads to is, oh, you know what, Roy, that's a good idea. Let's go. Let's try your thing. And if, maybe if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Or we could test the d two different options or whatever. But you want to take feedback well and you want to be prepared to justify if you have a disagreement. Here's why I disagree. Be a good communicator. And by that, I mean, like, obviously, being a good writer is important to being a copywriter, but being a good communicator can be um, the, the conversations that you're having outside of writing copy, the emails that you have, the, the conversations that you have on the phone or on Zoom or whatever, just be a good communicator, just communicate well. Uh, and, and the other skills are going to add up to this. So things like active listening and stuff, um, those are beneficial. Bring good attitude and bring a good attitude and energy. So, uh, your client does not want you to bring your depression, bring your, I'm sorry, if you were depressed, that, that feels really insensitive. Um, and, and I will admit that I have had plenty of negative energy. I don't, I haven't been diagnosed with depression, but I've had a lot of like sadness and stuff. Um, I've had some hard times and I, I know that it can be hard to, to have somebody just say, Hey, bring good attitude and energy as much as possible. 
in the context of your work, in the context of what you do, you need to do as much as you can to rewrite your subconscious stories, etc. I have a whole subconscious mind training at BTMS Insiders that helps with this. And cultivate positive feelings, cultivate positive behaviors, cultivate positive actions, cultivate positive feelings, cultivate positive stories, cultivate positive thoughts. And it's not easy and it's not automatic. It, you know, you can make it more automatic. Uh, and sometimes it's a very long process to deal with that stuff and get therapy if you're having issues with things like depression and stuff where you just can't bring yourself out of a funk. Um, get help, absolutely. And in the context of a client relationship, um, there is there, the Fred Joyle interview that I did a few weeks ago, uh, he talks about being the voice of up upliftment, being the voice of upliftment, meaning when a client engages with you, are you making them feel better about themselves? Are you making them feel better about the work? Are you making them feel better about their day? Or are you bringing them down, right? And if you bring a good attitude and energy, your clients will naturally want to be around you more, do more work with you. And so it can be worth it. It can be worth it to yourself to like find your inner coach. Like I, I occasionally in my journal, I'll actually communicate with my inner coach, which is a version of me that treats myself with love and care and respect and wants to hold me to the highest standards, et cetera, but like in a really loving and respectful way. And, um, and I will bring a good attitude and energy to myself through that inner coach. And I'll actually write in the you voice in the second person talking to myself as if it's the coach writing saying, hey, you know, Roy, you can do this. You, you, you have a lot on your plate and you have a big project and you are putting a lot of pressure on yourself to get this result and you can do it. You can focus on these things. You can do the things that you need to do to succeed. So bring that good attitude and energy and find ways to do it, including like, retelling yourselves, finding ways to, to reprogram your subconscious mind so that the stories you tell yourself support that good attitude and energy. Be a professional. Just like there's so many representations of that and the least, um, the least important representations of being a professional are things like wearing a suit, having nice business cards, being in a fancy office, etc. Like honestly, uh, when it comes to actually writing copy, some of those things are important and some of those things can make a difference and some of those things are going to change the way that you're perceived. And if like your inside is rotten, unprofessional, etc., then you're going to like, it, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. Uh, and so being a professional starts from the inside out and is behaving in ways that are professional. Uh, for example, a professional in most instances is not going to use profanity in their communication. That said, in some markets and in some industries and in some context with some clients, it may not matter at all, right? A professional is not going to get sloppy drunk at a work event. Uh, a lot of work events involve professionals having a drink or two um, and having communications, and that may be appropriately professional in some settings, but maybe drinking in the morning is not professional. Um, so it, you gotta you gotta find what is professional in the right context and behave in that way, right? Meet deadlines. Uh, a lot of people put this really early. Uh, I I will defer to my uh, get leads, customer sales, and profits. Allow your 
clients an opportunity to buy money at a discount by hiring you um, and, and deadlines become less important. But in the context of something like a direct mail campaign that has to go out on a certain day and so it has to go to the printer on a certain day uh, and so before that it has to go to the designer on a certain day to give them enough time means that if you don't meet that deadline uh, to get it to your copy chief so they can get it to the designer by the appropriate time so it can get to the printer by the appropriate time so it can get to the mail by appropriate time to show up in people's mailbox at the appropriate time for the mailing window that works best in the business, then you screwed up a lot. And, and we can be talking tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for a direct mail test. Um, obviously, direct mail is less of a, a factor now, but still, like, meet deadline. If you have a big launch that's on a calendar and there's affiliates lined up, etc., meeting those deadlines is going to matter. The other thing is, is um, don't set deadlines, don't agree to deadlines if you're not able to meet them. And so in some cases, in some contexts, clients are less concerned about the deadline. A, a lot of cases uh, that I've worked with for entrepreneurial clients, they may be less concerned about the deadline. Some of them are super concerned. Some are not as concerned. Um, if they're not as concerned about the deadline, then don't just set a deadline on, unless you're going to meet it, right? Um, and, and so figure out where deadlines fall in the priority. And this is part of the being a professional. Figure out where deadlines fall in the priority and make sure that you're treating them appropriately based on the client's priority. Tied to this, do what you say you're going to do. Uh, so in, in, when you set expectations and you don't fulfill them, that is worse when you set high expectations and you don't fulfill them, that is worse than setting lower expectations and beating them. <laughs> but your performance um, beating the lower expectation may be actually lower than your, um, your performance meet, missing the high expectation. So let me give a specific example to put that in context. Let's say that you have a piece of copy that you realistically think that you could turn around in, um, in, in three weeks, and if everything goes well, you could turn it around in two weeks. If you tell your client, oh, I'm gonna get this to you in two weeks, it's gonna be awesome, and you get it to them in two and a half weeks, then you missed that expectation. Alternatively, if you, uh, if you tell your client, hey, I can get this to you within a month, maybe sooner, and you get it to them in three weeks. It took you longer to get it to them, but you beat your deadline instead of missed your deadline. And that's doing what you say you're gonna do. Um, and, and that's huge. Okay, the final one, number 18, I haven't, I haven't kept count throughout, but the final one here is treat the team. And I said the team, not, not just the client, treat the whole team with respect and kindness. Treat everybody that you are involved with, with respect and kindness. Lift them up, be the voice of upliftment, treat them well. And, um, and what's gonna happen is throughout the course of your career, there are people who are on at one point on a team today, like for example, let's say a lower ranking member of a copywriting team. Um, some, somebody in a peer review who is considered your junior on a project. And 10 years from now, 
that person is the copy chief at that client or at a different client. If you treated that person poorly when they are, when they were, you know, an entry level copywriter on that team, and then they're the copy chief over here, you're, you're going to be in trouble because they're going to remember that, right? Um, alternatively, you treat that person really well when they're a junior copywriter and you like lift them up and you say, hey, that's, that's great advice. Like you're talking to them a lot, like you're treating them with respect and kindness. And then they're the copy chief over here. Well, they may say, hey, uh, this person was great to work with. I wonder if we could hook them up with like a three project deal because uh, I know that they're great to work with. And so treating the team with respect and kindness, considering that life is long and oftentimes people are always moving around and moving throughout industries, etc. It's going to it's going to serve you well, both immediately and in the long term. All right, so that was 18 behaviors that copywriting clients love from you. This turns out to be one of my longest episodes in a while. If you uh, if you felt like you got some good advice here, you're going to love going much deeper into my BTMS Insiders training library. Again, that's at btmsinsiders.com, or you can just go straight to the link in the description where you get access to over 150 hours of copywriting and marketing training from me from the moment you signed up. It's instant streaming access like Netflix, but for that copywriting and marketing training, so you can develop your skills to succeed as a copywriter and grow your copywriting business. I'm Roy Fur. this is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. With every episode, I'm here trying to help you increase your marketing genius. And if you just do a double check on your own behaviors in the context of client relationships here, I believe that you will set yourself up for much better long-term success as a marketer and thus be increasing your marketing genius. I'll catch you again in the next episode. I'll see you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.